0: Hello, hello, hello. It may be a new year, a new day, a new dawn, but S.O.S. If you, dear listener, have any activist nerve endings or tendencies, please, this would be the time to unfurl your wings and give it a go. Welcome to the Department of Homeland Inspiration, brought to you by the Art Ranger. Yours truly, here in some oak woodlands with an old leather briefcase the color of clay. When we started up this whole Department of Homeland Inspiration obsession, we could never have imagined what it would feel like to say the word homeland in times like these. Wow. For this episode, we're going to share a recently discovered essay about the U.S. Constitution written by our dad, Robert Smedley, now 19 years past, but still present. I read this piece aloud on Election Day, November 2023, as a private gesture of hope and faith wanting to believe that by having a constitution, our country's got at least a map, a structure, God help us, to navigate our way through some hideous idiocy. First, document discovery. It was right around Independence Day. We were prepping for open mic. For that month, I'd been grappling with my supreme disgust with SCOTUS, been chewing my cut on some founding documents of our republic, if you can keep it. The Declaration of Independence, for instance, sounds so ironic while your bodily autonomy is being confiscated. And since my poems were mashups of legal documents, we thought it fitting to carry them to the event in Dad's old briefcase, using it as a prop As we gathered our stuff, placing it in the worn leather bag, we discovered in an inner pocket a typewritten document that I keenly devoured. Basically, a love letter to the Constitution of all days to show that to me. A little bit about Bob. He was a Renaissance man. He wrote poems, he had little sketchbooks and did watercolors in the middle of a bike trip while mom wondered where the heck he was. He stopped to smell the roses and never lost track of his inner child. He was an attorney at law, and much of my childhood the office was at the back of a strip mall next to the hardware store. Bob had a brief career in politics during the 70s, and I think the short-lived nature of his service could be summed up by this. Goddamn special interest groups. Like everyone, he was complicated. But I felt like Dad showed up on purpose that day to share something. Hey there, Punky, remember me? Your dad who ate broccoli stalks for breakfast? He's trying to express something. He's worried about us. To my mind, the short essay you're about to hear from the 60s, we guess, reads better and with more passion and sturdy logic than anything we've read on the topic. And boy, howdy, do we all need to citizen it up right now, just like doing our sit-ups. hmm bicep curls. I just love that this writing lived in the inner folds of his briefcase with corrections and X'd-out parts, additions, a document he held dear that was part of his toolkit for a law profession. He had it with him in court, in the office, and at home. And it goes like this. One of the marvels of our Constitution is its adaptability to changing times. It is flexible to the needs of this day, as well as the times of Washington, Jefferson, the Adams, and John Marshall, yet its fundamental principles stand inflexible to change. It is a great lady of truth in every age today and tomorrow. Its very adaptability is what saves its truths for today and tomorrow. It is in no way a self-destructive document, and this is its glory. One of the great and unchanging truths embodied in the Constitution is that there is no absolute answer as to what is right or democratic in constitutional government. There is no truth in society so absolute that it will be true today and forever. Thus, the only truth we really know is that there can be change. Whether or not there will be change or what form it will take is another matter. It is an unknown factor, a big if, subject to no absolute prediction. But the Constitution provides for this big if by allowing for its own amendment. It also provides for change by allowing for judicial review and interpretation by the courts, particularly the Supreme Court of the United States, which it names as its own protector. The Court not only protects the Constitution from acts of police, of the Army, and the President, but it protects it from acts by the states and by the Congress itself. Thus, acts of Congress or state legislatures may be declared unconstitutional by the Court. And by so protecting and preserving the Constitution, the people are in turn protected, For it is the Constitution that enumerates the rights of the people as against infringement by the United States, state governments, and groups of similar power. The people have all the rights enumerated by the Constitution, plus every other right on earth, except those specifically denied by government for good cause. The people are free in every way, except that they cannot commit a crime or otherwise threaten society without subjecting themselves to punishment. In this way, by deterring crime, government protects society and itself, subduing those who would deprive others of their freedom. This is another self-preservation feature of the Constitution. Obviously, if the Constitution were so bent on freedom that no person could be deprived of it, then it would contain the seeds of its own destruction. For one thing, the government which it sets up could fall in the hands of unscrupulous people who would destroy the very Constitution itself. And for another, the free men and women of society would be subjected to the will of criminals... This would destroy the free society and the spirit of liberty in the people, without which the Constitution would be merely a piece of paper, words with no meaning behind them. You may enter into an agreement to buy your neighbor's lawnmower. You may sign a contract that you will pay your neighbor an amount of money next March, at which time he will deliver the lawnmower to you. But if, in the meantime, you move to an apartment where you will not need the lawnmower and your neighbor finds another buyer for it, neither of you will wish to enforce the contract, even though either of you could enforce it if you wished. But if the will of enforcement is lost, then the contract is only a piece of paper with empty words on it. Thus, the will of enforcement, the spirit of liberty, must always be in our people in order to give the Constitution meaning. This enforcement must be against all threats, not only against criminals, but against law enforcement officers themselves who may be overzealous to punish crime and may thereby seek to deprive an alleged criminal of a fair trial. The enforcement must be against the President and even the Congress. No particular group is exempt from compliance with the Constitution. Even the Supreme Court itself, which interprets what the Constitution says and means, is subject to control by Congress because Congress can pass an act to vacate the meaning of a Supreme Court decision or an amendment. This is part of the wonderful balance of power that the Constitution establishes in our government. The act, of course, would then be subject to review by the Supreme Court, which in a sense gives the final say. But the final say is really in the Constitution and in what the spirit of the people tells the judges as to the meaning of the Constitution. For the Supreme Court must, as everyone must, abide by the Constitution. The Supreme Court does not do affirmative acts. It merely interprets the acts of others in light of the Constitution. Therefore, for it to have the final say as to what the Constitution means, is not a dictatorial power. Judges of the Supreme Court have very little personal power in the sense that they can impose it on other people. They are merely the necessary human intermediaries to give power to the Constitution. Still, if they err, there is a way out. Due process, public conscience. Thank you, Bob, for your great digestion and insight and love of the Constitution of the United States of America. And isn't it rich that we use the word Constitution also for our health, our gut, our ability to be resilient and strong. And you so poignantly point out just how much this hinges on the Supreme Court. The word supreme, supremacy, is that part of the problem? Can humans really be supreme? We have to want this democracy enough to fight for it because some other people have put a lot of effort into dismantling it. Thank you for listening. And if you like this, please rate it Please, uh, pass it on.